0: You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla podcast. This week we take a deep dive into everything James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another brand new edition of the Bonzilla Deep Dive. I am Nick. I'm Will. And you caught
1: me in the middle of water there. I usually time it better, but
0: yeah, well, you're the one who you're the one who um, you know got me in. You know, you pointed me in and said I'm ready to go. And I did. I'm owning up to it. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, we're here today again with more deep dive action for you. Um, and uh, today, our main topic, as we've just completed our uh, episode uh, series on the the various Bond actors, felt like it would be a, a good time. All
1: to- of them. Nobody left out. Not a single actor was left out. All right. Let- no, no, no. There's no one else. Okay. I was, Absolutely. I was going to. No expl- one else. I was going to explain it. Uh huh. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, so my thing about the George Lazenby thing in terms of doing an episode on him is two things. One is I felt like the Honor, Majesty, Secret Service episode was more than enough about, like, the history of Mm Lazenby. There's really not more to go into on, like, his personal history. Um, And the other thing is, like, you know, most of the stuff he did after Bond was... If he did anything, it would be, like, cameos or, like, small roles in Hong Kong action cinema. Like, the only film that would be relevant enough to do would be the film he did right after Bond, which is Universal Soldier. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That
1: is a snooze.
0: Universal Soldier, (laughs) which seems like a film that would be fun to, like, bash, but... The only thing I found on it is, like, you can get, like, a VHS copy. Well, I mean, on, uh, le- let's not
1: pretend that we are only in it for the highbrow entertainment right. here. <laughs> no.
0: But uh, I, I'd have to get a VHS copy second hand off of Amazon to, to, to watch it. But yeah. that's it. Yeah. But, well, you know, that's why. Yeah. But it's, like, again, like, you know, the whole thing about those actor episodes is, like, you want to go deeper into the whole... History and legacy of those actors in and outside of Bond, and mm-hmm. really Lazensby's legacy in and outside of Bond. It's all placed in the Honor, Majesty, Secret Service episode. It,
1: it is kind of it, it. I mean, it must be hard to it, like. Essentially, that legacy is that you have no legacy. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. Like, yeah. uh, so you know, there, there, there's that. You know, he was rennered before. Uh, there was a runner. Yeah, like, he, and so you know, that is how it is. Um, which he really is because it's like, cause it was like, you know, no more Connery. And then it's like, all right, well this guy and then Connery came back. Yeah. So he really was Rennerd.
0: Yeah, he was. Indeed.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, there's that. And you know, Renner, th- this is really out of nowhere, but Renner is actually his own Renner because, you know, he's Hawkeye. And then there was that thing where people didn't think he was going to be Hawkeye anymore because of like personal drama. But then it's like, oh no, he's definitely going to be Hawkeye. Yeah. So, he's kind of been rendered. <laughs> he's rendered himself. And he will eventually get he will eventually get Kate Bishop, yeah, which I'm very uh, excited for. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, but um, I, did, I did I did I did say there there was one thing. I didn't want to talk about yes you before had, you had a, you had before a, we get into into this the primary you had a topic, topic yeah that,
0: yeah you had a topic that you were passionate about well yeah
1: I, I this is the first time I actually wanted to kind of hash something out uh and it, only because it is somewhat related it has become a subtopic a favorite of our fans yeah. that are out there of us talking about what the future of theaters and movie going is going to be. Um, You know, it's funny. You and I sat down last night, and it, it is funny how as more and more time goes on, and I don't want to speak for you, but I kind of got this sense from when I was talking to you, was that there is this sense of just, like, continuously having to incrementally accept that are we are we seeing any new movies <laughs> this year like you know because even like because i think we, i've you know even you i think who's been more optimistic has gone through to the at the very least like well like you know maybe we'll see no time to die this year like that that was kind of the sense i got from you i don't i don't want to yeah it's,
0: it's hard just from a month to month perspective <laughs> Uh, well it's like because you, you know it's like you know Disney takes try- you it
1: takes you the whole month to, well, to, to figure that but it out it really
0: is like everything shifts mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis essentially in terms of what these discussions are I mean we're going through it right now with like sports and football right now obviously right. Um, there's that perspective but you know it's like the the Mulan thing is uh, which we'll talk about which is like the kind of was kind of the big drop Yeah. Uh, Earlier, like you know, in the month, but it's also just at this point, like there's just really like nothing to say at -hmm. this point because until we get to a point where a theater actually reopens, there's really no point of talking about it, to me at least. Yeah, no, I mean
1: it it is one of the things where the reason I think we do talk about is because we we had two movies coming out, and you know, in so all this the future of theaters. And then we we did a whole news episode on it. So that's the reason I justify myself into kind of talking oh, of course, of a, course. A, about this. Uh but yeah, so I mean the, the two big pieces of news, one was the Mulan news obviously where Mulan is coming uh to Disney Plus for a price point. Yeah. Um which is an interesting move. It's also funny to see the incremental nature of them doing this like, you know, with you know, first it was, like, movies like Onward, which were in theaters, and then, like, the, the window was cut abruptly, so then they put it in, onto the right. streaming service. Then you had movies like Artemis Fowl, which I think kind of... Already
0: got delayed multiple times. Multiple
1: times. I think the unspoken truth of, you know, I don't think that there was much faith it was going to be, like, a huge moneymaker. Yeah. Um, so you had that. Uh, then you had the Hamilton thing come out. And um, then it moved
0: it up, like, a whole year right. to, like you know, get it on Disney plus. And you know what? It's, it's been interesting too, because I, I will say, I think the thing about Disney plus, it, it'll be interesting because again, the Mulan thing we'll talk about in a moment, but you know, they've just done their big like shareholder thing. And one of the things they mentioned was that they hit their five-year worldwide goal in nine months. Mm. So it's definitely been like a successful at least strategy, at least like kind of putting this stuff out and, you know, especially with, the stuff happening right at the beginning of quarantine and all these announcements, it, it definitely put some attention on, on the service.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, the news was ultimately that for, what was it like a $30 price point? Like that yeah. they were going to be putting it on the service. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's cool. I mean, that, that's like the first real big, because we've talked multiple times about how, you know, Disney being like, you know, the, you know, the big the big the biggest of the big and you know yeah. taking this movie which was set to be like one of their major temples of the entire year yeah um and for those of you don't even remember like Mulan was about to come out right but when, it, like, before right. all like, this it stuff was happened.
0: literally like two weeks away
1: right um so you know it is interesting because now that there's talks about Or, like, you know, there's chatter about, like, if they do this, and then, you know, obviously they'll see how it goes, like, you know, what will they do with other movies, you know? You know, it's one of those things, because then the next major one after that was Black Widow. Right,
0: and I think the thing about Mulan too that makes it different than any of the other, like, drops that we've had is that it really is the first of the we-were-trying-to-get-this-out-in-theaters movies to be released Mm -hmm. on the streaming Mm -hmm. service. Because all the other ones, like you said, like, Onward you know, was in theaters and got cut short, you know, like Artemis Fowl was like, well, we kind of delayed it. And it was just like, well, at this point, let's just put it on the service. And it's like, you know, we've had all these movies that have been like, you know, like Mulan was going to be whatever theaters reopen, it's going to be the first movie out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're getting to the point where, you know, Mulan is in that sense, you know, we still really don't know what's going on with new mutants, which could also be in that <laughs> realm as well. Um, but now we're gonna be able to start seeing like what other our other companies do, you right. know, what you know, Universal and like MGM and, and Eon do with No Time to Die, or or well, what what else could happen for the rest of the year? Because, you know, again, it's hard because November is such a long time away that things can you know discussions and 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 all that sort of stuff can just change in an instant. Right, We've seen that right. like happen with the discussion around COVID very easily. But it it is like, it's just at a point now where I think the possibilities of weirder stuff happen, like stuff that we couldn't imagine happening in April, happening Mm -hmm. in November, um, it's just more on the table now.
1: Well, the the other thing is like, going back to it, is like, you know, the Black Widow thing, which there's two sides to it. I mean, the one side is that it's Marvel, and Marvel has been pretty open that they're just kind of like pushing an entire slate back yeah and they have no qualms about doing that so it's not as much of a guarantee to me that that they would do that unless like this mulan thing just completely like you know blows all expectations out of the water yeah something like that um the other thing though too and i I was speaking to a couple of people about this like you know because there's always the thing of like all right part of the reason like obviously you buy the movie but then you know you've signed up to Disney plus if anything would do that make that model work it's probably the next Marvel movie yeah of any of any of the Disney properties like yeah that's... It, would, it would have to be like it would be a Star Wars thing or a Marvel thing and those would I think be a safe bet to get people to sign up for a service yeah um, especially especially if it's like the new movie and it's Black Widow It's you're teed up because it's like you know, it's a recognizable character. Mm -hmm. Like, if you did it with Eternals, it would probably be a little bit different, but like it's Black Widow, and you know, and and, you know, you can always like lean into like, ah, COVID robbed us of this movie, and but we're giving it to you for $30. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's like a big thing, but the other thing I did want to talk about was. The other big piece of news was because I think last time we talked about you know the uh, like the the theatrical windows the, with like Universal and everything. Yeah. Um, so the other big hubbub going going around is this um, this uh, federal motion being passed or um, uh, of um, basically and because. You know, I'm not a legal person, so I, you know, I, I you know, I'm probably mi- missing or mi- ah, mixing up some of the words as I'm doing right there. But basically, um, making it so that studios could potentially, um, own theaters yeah or, or own theater chains right now is, to, to, to kind of make this a little bit more clear because i'm kind of stumbling over my words explaining this basically there is a rule in place now that prevents studios from d- really doing this right because this was
0: this was a major thing in kind of the golden age of hollywood like the 30s into the 40s really like before the rise of like the megaplex where studios would own keep talking various theaters you know within a city and so there would be you know that would you know maybe promote their own movies more and and stuff like that or or kind of focus in on what that studio's uh uh theatrical releases were that yeah sort of, that yeah. sort of thing it, it,
1: it's basically the way to uh, um not give studios entire distribution power yeah. over o- over their over their films which is you know, uh, definitely something, you know, that you do want to, you know, keep an eye on. Um, so now this motion is being passed where, you know, that may not be the case. Now, th- there's a lot to unpack with that. I mean, obviously, the, the gut reaction is that nobody wants that. For good reason, I would think. I, I think that it, it is safe to say that, in general, it, it is nice that you kind of have... A, a separate branch of distribution uh than uh the the actual studios from for many reasons the one reason which will kind of be the ultimate reason i'm talking about this is the whole um you know disincentivizing uh studios from just like distributing their own stuff and like pushing other stuff out is, is like really like the big yeah big thing
0: and but, like making it harder yeah. for like more independent stuff or, so you know or it I'll, has to be like kind of through the studio I'll, I'll get to that
1: point in a minute but like so the one thing about i i do want to kind of like talk about like you know what the ramifications and like kind of like the reaction to this is because the way i see it it's a two-prong thing one there is a there is you know, without getting too much into it, there's just like a a general um, dis. There, there's just a general feeling of distrust, anti-monopolistic, like yeah. r- rhetoric to it. Honestly, like I mean, without getting too much into my personal feelings about it, I don't think like those feelings are necessarily unfounded. I think those that's a very uh, sympathetic point of view, mm-hmm. and definitely is is argu- uh, is uh, you can argue in that case. Um, It is interesting if you look at the grand, uh, the big picture of it, though, um, because there's so many factors to it. Like, if this was something like a year ago, it's definitely a more annoying, like, kind of, like, potential power grab thing. But I was reading an article about it where this means a completely different thing than it did, like, a year ago. Yeah. One thing is that in this, this article I was reading said this, are theaters a commodity that studios would want going forward? Mm -hmm. Um, now, because in, in fact, it's kind of like that weird catch 22 where the biggest thing you can argue, and I'm not advocating this necessarily is that, or or would the studios be the saving grace for like AMC to like stay open? You know what I mean? Not that I would necessarily advocate for this, but if Disney bought AMC, AMC would stay open. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like one of, one of those things um and so and in that line becomes trickier and trickier when you have this stuff like with the Disney plus streaming service when you have stuff like uh when you have just like the streaming wars and everything like
0: right where it's now every studio has put their really every studio has put their foot down right into a streaming service and mm-hmm. it's like you know, it's like Disney Plus and NBC with Peacock and Warner Media with with HBO Max. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody everybody is kind of putting their libraries and their you know their their future development and stuff right. into into these streaming services. Right. It, it, it's just it is interesting because
1: it's just like going forward. Like, what is even the future of theaters? Like, right. Regardless, right. Th- despite all that happening. The The second prong of the argument, too, which is probably the one I want to more passionately kind of like talk about is really it comes down to two things. It comes down to that one kind of like distrust, angry at everything type of deal. The other thing is this kind of like once again this and, you know, this will probably be the thing that will, you know people get angry at me about but I don't care um it's this continuation of this like just epidemic of just being angry about everything and this mistrust that somehow if you really get to the deep heart of everybody when they argue this point and the thing that they argue the most whether they believe this or not is this this notion that studios will come in take you know the theaters phase out you know smaller films it'll only be bigger films and you you know and then you'll end up in the future where everything is you know black widow and Mulan. is basically the is it, basically this uh, this argument that people will land on. yeah. Um, this is a nonsense argument to me. It, it, and, I, and I think that it bec- it has become more the more and more we've gone into this year, this just becomes panic porn at this point and it becomes this kind of like weird um uh i i really don't know how to say this but this real this real kind of like pretentious way of looking at like how all of this stuff is going to pan out yeah and and the reason i say this is that you know we are on the brink of i think really having to True. We always talk about, like, the industry shifting, the industry's changing. And I think we say that as kind of like a, like, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. I think we may need to start looking at this as, like, oh, no, like, this is it. Like, this is, like, the change is, like, happening right now. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we live in an era where now, like, with the streaming wars and you know, and, uh, you know, theater's not even necessarily being the most viable way of, like, distributing films, and, like, so much media coming out with different media having to get made because of, like, what's going on, I mean, the other biggest news that came out uh, in the past couple weeks is Shudder's host, which is coming out, and everybody is lauding that as, like, oh my god, like, here's Shudder, probably a streaming service that most of the – most people are talking about it. Well, hard Twitter did, but a lot of people probably didn't even know about before they had to force themselves into finding streaming services. Um, and now this movie comes out, and everybody's like, oh, my God. Like, they're making, like, this, you know, this this cool thing out of nowhere and this indie thing that really has no uh, connection to anything else. Um And it, it, to me, it's just, it's just always – becoming harder and harder to argue that this point that like you know this that we're phasing out all of these venues for all of our creativity to go and i think that's really kind of like what bugs me about it and one of the reasons it bugs me is because it's such a um it's such a lack of faith in Mm -hmm. art as lame as that may sound (laughs) if that means and and let me let me let me just kind of like wrap up this point i'll I'll, I'll let you talk um and it um the the one thing like i i do acknowledge like you know it does come with some of its drawbacks one of my least favorite things is i love that netflix has like so many different things coming out and so many cool things coming out do i necessarily like that every single thing that netflix allows to come out on their thing is labeled with the, a netflix original series like listen the, the the what the 25th series of like pokemon is not a netflix original series so you right. can slap that on there it's not a netflix <laughs> original series so you know i i don't like i don't like i don't necessarily love that but i think that we are definitely having to look at this thing as um I think it's. I think it's. It's really time to like having to like truly be open to like this is what like the future of film distribution is going to be. No, I think it's. A, if, did I make myself clear? No, that? I think
0: so. I. I think that you're completely right in the sense that I, it really. is. We've talked a lot about like the theatrical reckoning. I think before you know, and and even you know, but we've talked about that with. I think it's a, a couple things. One is that. You know, it's like a discussion that seems to pop up every once in a while with this. Like, we, you can even go back to the early days of home video, and like, will that, how will that affect the theater experience if people can get their stuff on home video now? Um, and even as we get to DVD and Blu-ray and stuff like that, and it kind of like shifted where it's like, okay, that shifted into it was a compliment to the theater, where it's like you see the movie and then months later you see that. Um I think there's a couple things to really consider about right now in terms of the the um what what the future of film is. Mm-hmm. I think that the the theater thing like for, okay, let me let me start. The the uh the studio zoning theater thing is one of those things where I definitely can understand the panic about it or you know, the arguments against why to do it. I also think that it is one of those situations where I think there's a world where that's not the end of the world if that Mm -hmm. happens. Like, you could see, you know, I think that there's been just sort of the talk a long time about how the theatrical experience needs to shake up, that it's gotten, you know, too expensive, or, you know, it's like, you know, people aren't taking care of their screens, and it's like, there's, there's a whole bunch, I think, that the theater... There's something that needs to be shaken up about the theatrical experience. And I don't know, you know, the studios getting into the theaters again might not be the right answer, but something has to happen because I feel like that's a discussion we've had for five years and it just hasn't gotten better. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing, too, about just how the streaming services and the reckoning is like what's kind of been really fascinating to me about these streaming services is a lot of the times when you see them doing movies at least for me I like the disney side it's like stuff that you know you kind of wish they had been producing for years and years at this point or like kind of alternate stuff you know like just the stuff that's been on the the original movies that's been on disney plus i kind of you know whether they're good or bad like stuff like star girl or was there there's a report this week that they're developing like a, a disney plus movie based on this musical once on this island you know mm-hmm. it's a broadway musical and it's like that's the stuff that i kind of wish disney was putting out in theaters to kind of just mix up with their remake stuff but now it feels like the the you know, the streaming wars have kind of reinvigorated at least somewhat of well, we need to develop kind of different stuff for our service mm-hmm. and different films. And you can see that with, you know, what's what they're doing with HBO Max and and kind of the stuff they're putting out there. Um and Peacock to a lesser extent, Peacock to me is a little more TV based, but you know, they're still doing the original stuff there too. Um You know, I think that I think you're completely right in the sense that I think the next kind of year of the filmic experience is going to be very telling mm-hmm. on what the future is. And it's it's still hard to kind of pinpoint. Um, but,
1: but, but this is kind of what I'm saying, and I'm hearing this in what you're saying, because you're still talking about, like, the theatrical experience and everything. What I'm kind of arguing for, and not advocating for, but arguing for is, like, I think, if anything, this time is showing us that I think we really need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, are we pinning the entire way in which we make film on this model that clearly is not really holding up under, scru- Under
0: not scrutiny, but under pressure? And I, and I think it's also... <laughs> you too, know, yeah. I mean, that's, I, all, that's all I mean. The other thing yeah. I will say, though, is I think, in general, the hard thing about film Twitter is I still, you know, there's very much a, you know, it's kind of like that kind of Oscar-based focus where the focus is on, like, L.A. and, you know, the L.A. theaters. Sure. And, and and the, um, you know, New York. Like, kind of those two are still, like, the beacon of just, like, where film people are. Mm-hmm. It really is kind of, like, the consideration, like, the people going to theaters in, like, Nebraska. Right. Or New Mexico are, like, and, and is that, are they still on that track too. You know, it's like we kinda consider we're in the epicenter. You know, you and I are in the epicenter of film, the film world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that are in the epicenter are based out here and that's kind of where a lot of that panic is. Like is just a random Midwesterner like really going to be upset if most of their stuff's gonna be streaming. You know, no. it's a common person. No, 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 they're not.
1: I, I'm I'm making this call and this may again everything I'm saying I know I know people personally who yeah. would be mad at everything I'm saying um but they're not they're they're not going to be upset i mean the thing about it and i'm not even advocating for like that theaters will be gone and i think a lot of people we know are even on the same page where and i think what we even talked about is like people are still going to want something to do so they will go out to the theaters
0: if anything it'll be more of an event and, and
1: and listen i am very empathetic and agree with even the concerns about like studios Owning theaters, you know, and then you know, would would that allow? I don't know, like the the book smarts uh, of the world now, of like yeah. to, to get into theaters. Now, I'm a like you know, I'm not as pessimistic about things like that. I mean, you know, we've have this argument every year that like you know the distribution chain is so unfair to like the the like the the smaller films of the world, even though you can see. All the smaller films of the world, like when, when they come out. It's right. just, it, it's this weird thing that we, we keep on arguing in circles right. about.
0: I mean, to be fair, too, it's like, you're, you're kind of right, too. It's like, it is not as if we're happy with the way that current the theater, like AMCs and Regals and stuff, are, you know, doing that. Or people aren't happy with the current way right. that AMCs and Regals are putting those movies out. Right.
1: So. But, but what I'm saying is, we are being our own wall with this argument. Like we are the one like we tend to be the ones who we view it. It's kind of this argument that a lot of people have been kind of saying about everything going on right now where it's just kind of like, you know, I'm not saying, you know, there's different levels of like radical change depending on like on anything, but you know, there is something to be said that, you know, do you do yourself more harm by just like trying to like like take all the chaos and like force it back into like the square peg. When now what you have is like a like a like a round pillar or something like that. Like it's like not going to like fit in there anymore. Um, so that that's kind of like now um, we're just kind of like looking at this thing. And then you know it's like well maybe it is really time to start looking at it as you know maybe just like movie distribution is just theaters is just not. As vital to the equation is what i'm saying and and all these moves are being taken place you have universal who also wants to move beyond that you know disney is playing with that i I don't think that they're as big on like you know uh foregoing the theatrical experience i think they're kind of doing it as out of a necessity right now um eventually like some of that distribution will come back but then also, like I know it's a small thing, but I look at something like you know the shutter thing, which is again a service that is not a Netflix. It's not any of these things. It's very and specific. It's a very specific thing, and now this movie comes out that like you know is, is an experimental little movie, but is like you know making the rounds. Now, am I saying like it swept the country? No, but I mean, but these are the the little these are the little things that I think you have to take into consideration. Yeah, and
0: and I yeah I just. And I think it'll still, I mean, I'm still on the side of the, the industry will cycle, as mm-hmm. it always does. The, there's a cycle of things that happen, and I'm sure if the theatrical stuff maybe becomes more of just an event thing, I think eventually there will be cycling back to finding, you know, people will want to go back out to theaters mm-hmm. or stuff like that, you know, and again, whether there's bubble bursts or whether it's just like, you know, pushing for kind of... That stuff would be people to be out and about, like I think I think it'll cycle, yeah, I th- and I think you know, and again, well, we talked about it where I think like you know there will be kind of the point of people who will do kind of the smaller theater chains, you know will try to kind of rise back up, oh sure, sure, uh, but and, and, it's also and, and, the and,
1: but this notion of also to be fair, this notion of you know if studios got their theaters i mean there, there's been what was it netflix bought the egyptian yeah. or something yeah. like that and well there's been some yeah. issue or some complaints about that too
0: well it's like you know netflix you know it's like there's like it's one of those things where yes some theaters you know like own some people own their own theaters you know like i know you know disney has the el capitan mm. and they do their own stuff with netflix bought the egyptian and there's like been like you know kind of things where You know, I guess it's because like the, you know, the Egyptian was kind of this thing where they would screen like a bunch of stuff and Mm -hmm. now it would be like Netflix based, which I think mostly is the complaint about it, where it's like, you know, the Egyptian is where we went to see like, you know, that reanimator and there's double feature and like they had stuff like that. And now people worry that like, well, Netflix is only going to be the stuff that Netflix puts out.
1: That's a, that's, um, that's a very valid, interesting, but deeper conversation to have because... I think that there's a level of like, well, you know, are they just distributing their own movies? And then instead of doing like these retrospective uh, like yeah. types of screenings, I think that's actually an argument that that you can have. Because then also it, it becomes like that that also adds another layer to film distribution. Like how much is film distribution doing things like that, um, like doing those retro those retro screenings and stuff like that. Um, You know, there's a level of going into it where, like, the reason I bring up, like, the, you know, Netflix owning, like, a theater, and then, like, you know, is that going to be, you you know, what does that mean about distribution? And I pose this question to you. What is so different about Netflix doing that on its streaming platform? Arguably, it's doing the same thing to a more uh to a wider base of viewers. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. They're the ones controlling the distribution of how their media gets out. Yeah. The theater thing just makes it I hate to say it, but a more like a, a more not niche but like a more um, prestigious like kind of like you know you got to go out of your way to like go the thing they're doing what everybody says theaters may become anyway where it's like it's the special thing that you do is that you go out to the theater
0: you know i i think there's just still a lot of questions to have to be Mm -hmm. put forward first like i think the the things where we can talk about this and the potentials and stuff like that i think the main thing that we have to see is like when the studios are actually going to bite the bullet mm-hmm. on kind of committing to it. I think there's a lot of discussions of like, you know, Universal doing but it, but they're doing it now. No, but it's like the, did, I need they... to see what movies Universal right. is putting out in theaters. Sure. For two oh no, 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 I, no, no, I, no, I understand I, that. Yeah, I think yeah. The the what I'm saying is the pieces are in motion. The mm-hmm. chessboard we're at kind of the we're getting close to check, mm-hmm. but I need to see that checkmate but point. But
1: wouldn't you? To kind of push back a little bit, wouldn't you say that already we're in a place now where studios, put in quotes for yeah. the video version of this podcast that doesn't exist, um, are already in a place where they are controlling the distribution on their own platforms, you know, uh, to a wider base? Like, you know, whether you like it or not, Disney Plus is doing that. Um, what? What? Like Netflix is doing that. Yeah, all the streaming services are doing HBO, it to a certain Max, degree. Yeah. HBO Max is doing it. I mean, you know, does that come with its own trade offs? Yes. And I'm not saying like this is like the new. You, I'm not advocating for like this is the new way that it's all going to work out. Like it's it's going to come with its right. own complications. I I do agree i i i think that maybe and 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 then you can wrap this up and as i wrap this up is that i I, the reason i do want to bring this up is because we often talk about this theater thing and you know this kind of involves movies going forward in general that whenever these conversations come up i think we do tend to let our real emotional attachment to how this is quote unquote supposed to work yeah um I, I, And generally, I may come from this fundamental where I think it's generally nonsense to think that this, quote-unquote, smaller and unique art thing will just disappear. I, I, I've, I'm I've, not even going to argue that point. I just think that's kind of like a nonsense point. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're just always going – like, regardless of – we've seen time and time again, year after year, everybody makes that point, And then at the end of the year, it's like, here are like the 20 films that are exactly the type of films – that we complain that don't exist anymore or regardless. Yeah. And the argument is that it comes down to distribution. Now we're looking at this thing where the distribution model is changing. I understand that a lot of people are kind of looking at it that it isn't changing, but it is changing. It's changing right now. And it's up to us to see like, when we hear about a new when news like this, are we going to truly look at where we're going to go in the future or are we going to kind of um, react in a way back to our previous priors and normals of how things are supposed to work?
0: Well, that's the natural inclination. Of I, I, listen,
1: I'm struggling with it too. I'm looking down the barrel of... These thea- the gun these- barrel. Yeah, <laughs> these. Uh, you know, I'm looking. I'm also looking down the barrel of like the theater experience changing in a way that I'm not necessarily fond of. I'm looking at physical media like potentially being phased out. So I'm not saying any of this as being like a w- in a welcoming attitude, but in, to be fair, I do think that it is dishonest for us to reactively look at this and just be- in these things and you know act like it's any other normal time where you know yes or certain things going to be questionable but yeah but we're also kind of in uh un like uncharted waters with this one and everybody seems willing to try to move forward in a way and i and i and i think that that is something that we need to think about going forward when it comes to movies
0: yeah i think it's just because i I think the way
1: sorry i this last point The movies are gonna be fine in a way. I guess that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Like, I'm never again going back to the fundamental. I'm never disc. I'm never concerned about the creativity in the output of film. Yeah. That. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. So that's where I'm looking at. Like, you know, these models. They're they're um they're changing.
0: I. I would agree. I, I think that there, to me, it's like I, I really can't put my foot down on what the future actually holds. Because sure, sure. I, I, I really do think that a lot of it is going to be whenever sort of things, you know, get to a normalcy. Like what the actual, you know, continuation Sure, when, when
1: calmer heads prevail and yeah. they, we know exactly like if what we, we can get, and if can't if, do. You know, if
0: we get to like June 2021, if we get to like the 2021 summer season... And, you know, maybe there's been a vaccine or whatever and it's mm-hmm. like we've we've kind of can, you know kind of have a little bit more normalcy in how we operate in, in this world, what that's going to be like. And I think that I think there's a lot of potential and I think that you're right that it's not as if the theater experience is gonna go away or the physical media experience is gonna go away. I think there will be people and things that keep those alive. But I do think that there is kind of a new filmic world ahead of us mm-hmm. and I just I don't know if even the studios really know what that looks like right yeah. now I think they have plans I think they have discussions and meetings but I really don't think that you know it is kind of just like just like the whole world it's just like there's just no answers until until I, I, the but I,
1: I think it's just we gotta start putting where our money where our mouth is I think we say this all the time well, I no, think we say it. it it's, no, like but I, I think it's going
0: to change more so than ever the pieces are in place to change I think that I think that before We've always said, like, oh, like, there's change coming. Mm. But I really think that now there are the actual pieces in movement. Like I said, the chessboard's in movement close to that checkmate point. And listen,
1: I've seen people talk about this online, and yes, it's film Twitter, but there are some people who have put their foot down in the sand and are taking the route that it's not movies if you don't have theaters. Like, they're just people like that. And, you know, I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but, you know, props to sticking your like you know your feet in the sand on that one but that's what i'm talking about it's like you know are are we going to have to let go of that passionate concession or
0: and i think that's a whole other discussion yeah i think that there's a wider discussion about how people talk about viewing movies at home and i think that especially like first time movies or new releases at home i think there is a wider discussion on how people feel about that and the truth about it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I
1: won't get into it, but I I think that paints the conversation uh, really a lot yeah. uh, and more. So just some food for thought. Uh, it, it was something that as this news came out and people reacted to it, it it's more of me like looking yeah. at – the the uh the atmosphere and the and the attitude towards it and you know i don't have the answers Uh, i'm i'm just as dubious and uh, excited with silver linings as anybody else but um i i think this is something that we uh really need to do some soul searching on is basically where i'm coming from
0: yeah i think it's just yeah we need to confront that the just the possibility
1: yeah um speaking speaking of which um uh, no that's that doesn't that doesn't work um therefore furthermore alternatively yeah
0: bond actors
1: yeah bond actors there we go uh yeah no uh they're they're cool um some are better than others (laughs) good night everyone (laughs) it was interesting so yeah actually going into any thanks everybody for indulging me into that one i I thought like you know this is big stuff this is big stuff and i I didn't really want to uh, I, I wanted to kind of get it out there. What's that yeah. little smirk? You're giving me a little smirk.
0: Nah, no, it's that little no smirk. What was that? There's no smirk. There's a smirk. I'm a general smirker.
1: That's true. You are a general smirker. That's a, that's a good name. General smirker. Um, but um, we did talk a little bit about in our last episode, a brief, at least I gave kind of like my brief thoughts on the bond actors yeah. in, in general. Um, but, yeah, now it's interesting to finally have seen all of them. See all of them within a different context mm-hmm. uh to to what they were and then um and then uh I rewatched commentary wise I rewatched Knives Out last night to watch the commentary but every now and then you you know the the sound cuts out and you like actually hear the movie so you get some you know I was able to Actually, see fun Daniel Craig again, which is always uh, which is always a treat. Um, but you know, I, I think maybe one of the ways we can talk about the the Bond actor is just to kind of briefly maybe talk about just like the Bond role and like maybe like what are some of like the the qualities that some of that all these actors have kind of like brought to like yes. the, the Bond role, yeah. um, because you know like. Here's my question. Maybe this can start us off. What would you say is the Bond character? Because I'm kind of in these this kind of uh, in a schism about this one. Because when it comes to the Bond character, all the things that I know about the Bond character, my brain almost tells me like, yeah, but that's all kind of like the tropey stuff you know about the Bond character. Yeah. Intellectually, what is actually the Bond character? So when I think of the Bond character, I think of like – cool gentleman uh you know uh you know always gets the ladies like has a drink in his hand and a pistol in the other type and always saves the day type of character but do I really and this has been kind of like my issue going forward into like the most recent Bond films do I really know the
0: Bond character I think it's it's interesting discussing the Bond character because I think it's almost at this point intertwined with talking about the actors because I think That there is the general, like you said, like the cool suave, you know, like um, smart, like kind of can get himself out of a jam uh, type of character. And again, like slick with the ladies, slicker with the villains kind of type that, you know, type of thing. But I also think that what kind of can get hard about discussing Bond as a character is I do feel that each of the actors that have played Bond have kind of highlighted like a different aspect of that Bond character. Mm -hmm. And... I think have brought out their strengths as actors into what Bond is. Right, right. And I think that that kind of where – I think of all the – you know, we, we – we, we, in terms of like these long-running franchise, I think what makes Bond super interesting is there is like a slight – it's not like a huge malleability with the character, but because you're kind of really going all in on casting different actors – uh, into the role and kind of having these different eras there is a certain malleability with how bond is presented where we can present bond in the, the craig and casino royale way but also the bond of more the mm-hmm. kind of sillier you know more bond stuff is as valid it's just that there's just kind of two versions or, or multiple versions of the character where i think that is like other characters that have more long-running actors in them or you know kind of like like if you talk about like track and it's like how long Shatner played that role but it's like you know that kind of is almost a legacy character where you had that one actor for such a long time that when like Chris Pine steps into it there's certain things you expect right you to right. That, that kind of put in to the Kirk role where it's like Bond is just like this interesting thing too where because it's also like there's not necessarily there is a continuity. But there isn't a continuity. You know, it's like, it's kind of like that old DC hyper time where it's like, if this Bond had Tracy, you know, it's like, in, you know, for your eyes only, if like, okay, well, he was the Bond that was married to Tracy. Right, right, Whereas like, you know, live and let die, there's no indication of that. Right. So it's like, it's a kind of thing too.
1: It's like every generation of Bond, I always say, is like a spiritual sequel to like another.
0: Right. There's no, you know, there's like kind of references at some points or another. Jaws might be in two of the movies, you know, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of a thing where, the Showa era is very similar in that way. Right, where yeah. it's like each one is its own individual story mm-hmm. in in a sense. And I think that's what kind of makes Bond interesting as a character to talk about is because there's there's just a more of you can kind of shift a character in certain ways and highlight that different aspect of them. it. It's not too dissimilar
1: to the Batman thing where it's simultaneously a blank slate character while also having so much expectation to what like you know what traits he should have
0: that's a really good that's a better it, comparison it, than track it, actually it,
1: it's 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 a very odd combination that in a weird way lends it, lends uh the character to having such a legacy and living on for so long in yeah. a re- weird way like you almost don't think like um like you know like a like if there were like, when you think of, like, a, a video game example of this would be, like, you know, Link from The Legend of Zelda. Like, you know, on a very primal basis, like, you know, you, you – uh, yeah. obviously, there's the name Link, but there's been, like, you know, versions of the game where you can actually name the character yourself and everything. Uh, but it's a blank slate character. But it, he should always have like you know the green uh tunic. You know, the green tunic or at least like the sword the sword and like the arrows and like the pointy ears like he always kind of needs to look like the same yeah. even though he's a blank slate so that's like the most primal right. version of that
0: you know like like Ocarina of Time Link and and Toon Link from Wind Waker they're like different characters but they're still linked right
1: exactly and and in part of it but the blank slate nature is because it's a video game and you want to kind of like yeah. they don't have the character talk for instance. So when you get into, like, the movie versions of it, that's why, like, you know, the Batmans and the Bonds kind of work is because there's so much iconography and things that you expect uh, from the character. But yet there's also, like, a level of, like, again, can you really tell me, like, what personally is the Bond character? Not, I don't think not many people would be able to automatically go to that. Yeah, it, It's a weird, almost d- very, like, big contradiction to have in a character but has led to the character lasting so long. Yes. And I, and I think that that is the most fascinating. And that leads into what our individual actors have brought to the character. The actors have kind of brought in that level of can they inhabit all of these tropes, you know, about Bond, but then also are they going to fill in that void a little bit of, you know, of the blank slate nature and add a little bit of whatever they have? Do they have to? Is another question yeah. to ask, and I think maybe that's something that, as we kind of like look at the actors, you can kind of like retroactively think about or mm-hmm. retrospectively think about.
0: Yeah, and I think that they all like there are things that certainly all share, and I think like all of them get to be kind of you know there's a roguish element to Bond where it's like if he has this inclination on mm. something, like he will go beyond M or try to go beyond M to like you know make you know to kind of go on his instinct. Right, I think right, there's right. that aspect. I think all of them get to do that. And it's not also like that's not in every movie, but I definitely think that every one of the bonds gets a chance to be that type of bond. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is also like kind of the- It's also
1: real quick. It's it's the reason you can't you can't do that with like many of the Marvel characters now. Like it, it's one of the reasons why I think it's going to be difficult going forward with like like Iron Man. Like why it's almost almost unfathomable that you can get anybody but Robert Downey Jr. too, because yeah. he's filled in that gap of like, you know, just fully fleshed out that character of who he is. But on the same token, Batman, who arguably is like, you know, has a far longer legacy, kind of, you can, a lot of people, um, are a little bit more open to anybody can play that role within certain parameters. And, and,
0: and, I think it also is just based on both Bond and Batman, I think it, it really has to do with how they were produced. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you had, like, the Connery years and then maybe there was, like, a little bit of a longer gap and then we had Bond again, well, if, like, you had that legacy of, like, okay, well, Connery played it for so long and now, like, we're in the 80s while there's a new Bond, you kind of probably have to match it up to Connery a little bit more. Right. And the same thing with, like, Batman, where it's, like, Batman has this legacy. It has, like, obviously the Adam West thing in the 60s. Then it goes into Keaton's, and mm. then immediately, like, you know, you have the two Keaton's, and then you immediately go into these different Schumacher films with, well, Bill Kilmer and right. George Clooney. And I think that helps with that legacy of just like, oh, well, well, Batman has been played by so many different actors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're getting to like, you know, whatever. Uh, Robert Pattinson's going to be Batman, too. I think there's that, and that same thing with Bond, it's like the immediately, like, okay, well, they're going to do Lazenby, then it's back to Connery, then more. Right. I think you kind of already instill within the audience, there is a um, uh, you know, there is this possibility that someone else can play Bond. To go back to the Trek example, it would be different if like you had all these films with like Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. and then instead of doing the next generation movies, you went, okay, we're gonna recast Kirk and Spock. right? Like right. that would have been kind of very different. In a sense of like, well, now like you have that long gap and, and right. So
1: it, what you're saying is it's built into the legacy of the, that it's yeah. always different people.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, like it's built into, and it's one of the things that people will know about Bond. And mm-hmm. it's like one of the first things that if you're going to talk to someone about Bond, you're going to have to talk to them like, who's your favorite Bond? That's true. That, think that like that's that, a very good. That is uh, a very point. very important part of the Bond legacy is that. Each Bond definitely has its fan base. Right, right. Each Bond actor definitely has like, you know, you're going to have the people who will say Connery is the best. You will have the people that grew up with more and, and and appreciate kind of the more sillier more stuff. You will have, you know, the people that's like, well, Brosnan is their image. And people who said, well, the, the you know, the grittier Craig films, it's like that's really the Bond character. Like you, you can really argue and anybody can make an argument that almost any of the Bonds – Um, Can I ask you a real quick, very, like,
1: it's related, but you can indulge me in a point that I think you'll have fun with. Why don't you think Spider-Man is that way? Because I think that if you really get down in the nitty-gritty, people would say, like, oh, which of of the three Spider-Men were your favorite spider Man? But I think in general, people don't really look at Spider-Man as being, like, that character where – it's not the same as, like, a Batman, where I think that part of the DNA – you're right. I I think – You're absolutely spy when you think of Bond or Batman. Your instant kind of thing is like, well, like this is my favorite Bond or this was my favorite, like
0: Batman, yeah, or
1: yeah, my favorite Batman or whatever. Like with Spider-Man, maybe you'll say like which one is your favorite movie, and maybe that implicitly tells you like what your favorite Spider-Man was. But I feel like Spider-Man kind of has a more like just general, and maybe because that character is so well defined, and to the most part, all the actors have played that character to different variations but the character itself is kind of the same yeah. throughout all three of them and maybe you know it goes back to like Stanley why he liked it being like you know he, um, him being a mass superhero because it was kind of like it could be anybody um i don't know like like what what, what do you what do you think i maybe think i answered it, my own question
0: i think there's a couple things i think one I think there's a part of it of just, like, what the filmic legacy of Spider-Man has been, where it's like, you have those three Raimi films, which I think made a really big pop culture imprint right. on, like, what Spider-Man is, and then I think, like, you know, I think we're kind of, what what the legacy of those amazing Spider-Man films are, I mm-hmm. think has been kind of, I think it's kind of been pushed to the side right, a little bit. Right, I also think that, I think that there's also a part of it, to me, of just, like, the era those, those films came out, mm-hmm. in that you could make the argument that Batman cements his true legacy as like a pop culture icon mm. with the 89 film. Sure. Whereas I think that cause it's like, and then the TV show before that. Yeah. And it, it, like the T cause the TV show was that thing, but it's like, I think like you had that combination of like, you had that, the, the original TV show. But I think like in terms of like, I think like the 89 show and then the animated series, like right after that, I think really cements like, okay, Batman is like, you know kind of this thing whereas i think that spider-man i think kind of had more of a pop culture legacy even before batman in a sense in some ways i think it's it's just general peter parker character i Mm. think i think there's an argument to be made Mm.
1: yeah i think it's like i you know it's funny because you mentioned the movies i think it's it's really just like people kind of look at the spider-man character as like a constant yes and they'll talk about the individual movies but I think it goes back to like there really is no blank slate nature to that character, right?
0: Because I think it's also I will say I think that yes, like the movies have been different, but you're right in that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are very well-defined characters. Where I think that you could also make the argument that like you know you can interpret Batman and Bruce Wayne in different ways mm-hmm. because I think you're you're very much right in in similar to Bond where it's like. You have the sillier Batman stuff. You have mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, even in the mm-hmm. comics, you have like your Brave and the Bold. You have your uh, '60s Batman stuff, and then you can also interpret it into the more you know, even for the time, the more real, right? But comic mm-hmm. booky world of Burton, right. And then once you get into the Dark Knight and the Nolan verse, and it's like, okay, we're going really real world. Mm-hmm. And even with, you know, what we've kind of seen about like the Matt Reeves Batman, it's like, okay, well, is it kind of gonna be more comic booky world or is it like, you know, or they're right, right. they're gonna lean into the detective part of it more. I think that Batman does have like kind of a more of a legacy. Of like more wide ranging types of Batman, right? Whereas I think the Spider-Man's, yes, like yeah, like the Amazing Spider-Man films are a little bit more grittier than like the Raimi films or the the Holland films that would the MCU films that would be after it. But I also think that there's still a little more of a consistency. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think even, that
1: even Spider-Verse kind of cheats this too, where it's a completely different character with Miles. But for the most part, even with that film all the Spider-Mans are insecure teens. Yeah. Like, so it's like, right. And I think again, that kind of
0: goes back to that bond legacy Mm -hmm. is that because each of the bonds have their own, you know, style to them. Like you can definitely know the difference between Connery Moore, sure and Mm -hmm. Dalton and, and Brosnan. Like they all kind of have a different era and a different style to their bond and the films that they're in to the point where, yes, it kind of becomes like there is more of a wide range of what Bond can be. Um, whereas, again, with Spider-Man, I feel like, yes, you know, again, there's kind of lighter and darker tones. But there's still more of a consistency about the character mm. and like what Peter Parker and Spider-Man are on film.
1: Mm. So going back to the Bond um, example, like maybe we can like now hop into now that we've talked about. This is like the character itself. What are the actors actually bringing to it? So I guess we can just start right from the top, which is Connery um yeah no sorry go ahead
0: I mean Connery it just is it, it it's such I think those first three films just really define so many elements of just the suaveness and the 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 charm of Bond in many ways and I think that Connery is almost it just really is like the furthest the furthest the perfect like first pick for Bond it's just like I think that he has the like everything about those first three films, I think really kind of cements Bond as like, oh, this is going to be something. Because, and I don't know if you have that if you don't have Connery. Like, if you have, if you do with the alternate reality where you do have more starting it, I don't know if that's going to be like the best start of it. I think that, I think that, you know, you'll more would have brought a different edge to those beginning films mm-hmm. for sure. He would have, I think he would have probably brought a little bit more of a kind of a, the sainty nature, like, in that, like, first episode, kind of a little bit more of kind of a, like, a detective-y nature to it, I think, just based on what he was doing at the time. But I think Connery just has, like, the look, he has the suaveness, and he inhabits the character so well, especially within, I think, Dr. No and From Russia With Love. I think, like, it's just, like, such a strong start for the character. The thing about Connery
1: that's really interesting to me is that in some ways he's the most very subtle well-rounded uh individual and not in terms of like you know he has like all like the different qualities but seems like to be the most real in in certain aspects and what i mean by that in, in a weird way is that he seems to be aware of the role in a way that future actors won't be aware of the role it's kind of like that one He's aware of kind of like, you know, being the spy, but then also has that kind of like confidence of himself that makes him kind of like too cool for this. Like simultaneously too cool for this but also wants to play. Yeah. Like if, if does that make sense? Yeah, like yeah. even in the way he kind of just like goes like he knows he's going to get every like he has this energy that he knows he's going to get every girl that comes his way. Um, you know, he um kind of like takes it seriously but still eye rolls at certain things and um, like the the other biggest thing is like there's always a sense of like when something dumb is happening in the movie you just kind of get this little bit of sense that you know he also is kind of like uh you, he's very Harrison Ford in this way like mm-hmm. Harrison Ford especially like when you get into like you know uh, like um, the later films like in Return of the Jedi and stuff and especially like when you get into like Force Awakens Harrison Ford where it's this person who's generally there and ready to play but also kind of has this it's like yeah no that that's kind of stupid and this is kind of stupid but it's my job so i'm gonna do it and for in in a way i I think that that has kind of been and he plays it really subtly like in a way that it's not he's not making fun of what's going on on the screen um but that's kind of like my go-to um especially in those early films now for me my favorite Connery is uh, "Never Say Never Again." Yes, um, where it's a little—he, it feels a little bit more like a good real person. I, I like my Bond when it's like you know he's a good dude, which is one of the reasons we'll get to why I like more so much. Um, but like you know, there is kind of like if the early Bonds, Sean, uh, Connery Bonds are like Harrison Ford. Um. The Never Say Never Again, Connery is a lot like Chris Pine, uh, and the reason I say that is because I w- I was rewatching Wonder Woman the other day, and Chris Pine is like a real underrated talent. I, I think I think it's easy to kind of like underestimate him because you know he's a white guy named chris in blockbuster films yeah uh and um you especially know especially
0: like when his like competition is like chris pratt where right, right. it, it, it's like chris pine kind of tends to be the most unassuming of the three exactly of them. yeah
1: but like when you when i was watching that film like chris pine in wonder woman specifically um he has this real talent of Being a very competent, likable, but kind of dorky dude, especially in that film, and I think those are qualities that Bond, the Connery Bond has in Never Say Never Again, And and I tend to kind of... Uh, gravitate toward that portrayal of him, but yeah, I would say like there's a bit of a Harrison Fordish quality to the Con- early Connery Bond.
0: Yeah, and I think that I think that Connery, I, I think that he does have kind of a well-rounded nature to him, which I think like makes him a, a good, again, ideal first Bond in the sense that I think he's he's strong in like the action sequences. I think that especially he can throw a punch. He, you know, he can. He can throw a quip. He can, uh, you know, he can get to bed with someone. He can, you know, like when he's like kind of going off on like Goldfinger, I think like that's again the, the villain stuff. Or even like, again, like, you know, I think the way that he plays the famous, you know, uh, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die, scene with the laser and just kind of his negotiation with Blofeld in that scene as well as the nervousness. I think that there's a well rounded kind of nature to like Connery as Bond that I think like is really good to establish Bond. Um, there, there's also kind of like one of the other things, maybe why I like that that
1: uh, later Bond or Connery version more is I don't want to say he's cold, but there is definitely if we get in, into kind of the more I- intimate nature of him, there's a lukewarm uh, nature to him. The where I think that later Bonds kind of either go back and forth, whether you know there's a more warmer nature like with Brosnan versus like the cold nature of Craig. Yeah. Um. So there, there's that level where there's kind of like this lukewarm nature of him, where uh, you know, he's definitely you know a good a, a good dude, but definitely is like a, will be no nonsense and not necessarily likable all the time.
0: Right, and I, I think like a lot of it too is just like again what the and a lot of it too with what the bonds are. I think is also what the films give them a lot of times, and I think that obviously like Connery. Generally has the most problematic of the films, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that, especially like when you l- retrospectively look at it, I think that's kind of a part of it it yeah, paints the character a little. I, bit. I think, like you know, because it is like again, you, we you know again the the infamous pussy galore in the barn scene, mm-hmm. and yep. and and the stuff at the beginning of um, Thunderball mm-hmm. with with the with the woman at the uh, the health clinic in in Thunderball specifically. Um, and the other thing I think is, and again I said this when we. Um, talked about Connery at the end of diamonds are forever is I think that especially now that we've gone through the rest of the bonds, I think that the one thing that Connery doesn't really get is his true emotional bond movie. I think that the other, all the other bonds and Mm. even Lazenby gets a chance to really have a true, like emotional deeper look into the Bond character. That's true. That's that's a very good point. And it's one of those things where, like, I mean, Connery was going to have that in, you know, if he had done Honor Magic Secret Service and he left. And I think that, you know, he does kind of show bits and pieces of and a potential for that emotional uh, Bond. Like, I think, like, again, some of the stuff in *From Russia with Love of Tatiana and I think that even the stuff, like, with Domino, I think you can see the potential for getting a deeper emotional character or emotional relationship with Bond But the fact that, like, all those, especially those first five that he does, um, kind of are really kind of the baseline Bond stuff, especially with the women, it kind of hurts the legacy a little bit. Mm -hmm. And especially on this rewatch and on this kind of rewatching, I think that, you know, it kind of is is tougher to get. Especially because you could argue that Never Say Never Again is, like, the closest he does get because it is kind of a movie where the Bond character is reckoning with kind of the end of his career. Right, right. and, And kind of finding kind of a final place to, to 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 plant himself you know and and I think that it's just I think that's just kind of one of the things that hits Connery most in terms of re uh relooking at his has had his films but it's also I just saying again you can't deny that he is so iconic in the role well, too it,
1: you're, you're right but I also think it's interesting you mentioned that about never say never again because that actually leads into more a little bit and that and it may Highlight something I didn't think about until now is that I may tend to like an older Bond, like maybe I, I like a Bond who's a little bit more of like the older authority figure, more of a veteran, and maybe that's because like even though this didn't stop the more movies at all, but maybe it's because it once you do that, it distances it, it, the character just naturally away from some of the more like problematic yeah. stuff, like you know it's not like once you get get to be very aged, like, you know, you're not like, you know, slapping people into barns (laughs) and things like that. Like just naturally the character is not doing that. So.
0: and I think it's also because like we more didn't really like to do that. Mm -hmm. Like more did not see his bond at that. And he was uncomfortable. Like when he does have to do that in like, um, man with the golden gun, Mm -hmm. you know, he made himself very clear. That's like, you know, that's not something I necessarily want to do. Mm -hmm. And obviously like, as he does more movies, as he gets into the Spy Who Loves Me's and the Moonrakers, it's like he has a little bit more control over the character. Um, but I think that's kind of a, a very intentional on his part. Yeah, you know, the way that he wants to play the character. I, I
1: mean, I should just, and I've said many times, more is probably my favorite uh, mm-hmm. of the Bonds. Um, I, I think for me, he hits that kind of that sweet spot the best for me, where it's a little bit more of a calm, gentlemanly authority figure who's just, who's just cool. Like, and like, and, and, even, like, you know, this is going to sound weird, but, like, his good-looking sexiness doesn't come from just the fact that, like, oh, he's good-looking and sexy, It's even though he is a good-looking man. But it just comes from just his, like, general gentlemanly quality, how he holds himself. It's a very indescribable quality to him. And I even noticed that when we were watching The Saint, like, even just, like, him just, you know, turning around, like, in, like, the in the airport, just, like... Oh just his whole or his his whole yeah. his whole energy is just is so is so infectious. I think
0: that it's one of those things where there is a perception of like oh like the more films are like too silly. But I also think that on the other side of that there is a large amount of people who have such a soft spot for more because of what you're saying just like his aura as Bond. And and
1: there's a warm quality to him as well and I think that one of the two the, the and we talked about the blank slate nature of him and we and we talked a little bit about that with Connery. With Moore I think the thing that he just naturally brings into the role Is just that ability to subtly switch from that gentlemanly warmness to the sincerity, not necessarily like super serious, but that sincerity. And I'm thinking, it was it which one was it in where he gives like the whole speech about like you know this is this is how the job is. It's a a spy who loved me. Yeah, and spy who loved me. Just like how naturally he turns into that without him coming off as aggressive or like you know dickish or anything. Like you know he he really is able to naturally get. Into that, uh, uh, into that space, uh, very likably.
0: And I think that I mean, like, I. I mean, Spy Who Loved Me is still my favorite of the films, and I and I've said before that the that scene with uh, Anya in Spy Who Loved Me, where he's talking about how yes, he killed her, her lover, is my could easily be like my favorite scene of Bond acting, mm. and especially my favorite scene, you know, for sure, my favorite scene of Moore acting. And I think it is very much because you can that character that moment i think defines his bond almost as much as any other thing um maybe other than the other stuff that i would say that comes close to that is the stuff with melina havelock in his relationship in Free your eyes only in the same way that like in the one that uh, in spy who loved me in that moment you can just tell that his bond is the regretful killer sure it's, it's the guy like he has to kill as part of the job because it's the safety of the world is at stake but he knows the heavy cost of it like he yeah he, like, he has mm-hmm. like he has the resignation like he says to Anya, it's like people in our business get killed you we both know that and we that's what we signed up for but there's also this sense of like there's just him where it's like he when he has to say yes i'm the one who killed him you can just feel the kind of almost regret in his voice in that moment
1: i admit that it may also be a little bit of a cheat just because it's like the older thing so that may just like you know read history uh in in a veteran nature to to him as well but in general i would i would agree with you i I think that there is slightly more of an implied dimension to him than somebody like connery bring brings to it and
0: i also think that a big part of what makes more so much fun to watch is his genuine love for playing the role. And I think that we've, we talked about it that, you know, by the end of his run, Connery was kind of a little bit burnt out. And, you know, especially in um, uh, You Only Live Twice, it's just like not, it's just not a great performance. And, you know, Diamonds, I think it's like, you know, he kind of has, well, it's just one film, and it's like, it's fun for what that movie is. Uh, but Moore just has the genuine, like, I think just he loves bringing the Bond character to life. And yes, like he does have, you know, the quips. He's some of the more quippier Bond stuff and he kind of has the more sillier Bond stuff. But I think that he still brings a light to it that is just so hard not to enjoy. Um, Even in kind of the films that, you know, I think aren't his best, you know, even with all the issues that I have with Octopussy, like he still brings something to Bond in that role. Mm -hmm. And you know, like, View to Achilles is just, like, that's when he's looking his oldest, and I think it is his weakest performance. But I would even argue that, like, you know, and I, I, I do have to go back and watch, like, Matt with the Golden Gun at some point, but even just from memory, it's just, like, it's just fun to see Moore in that role and squaring mm-hmm. off with, like, Christopher Lee and Knickknack and stuff like that. Like, he just inhabits such a fun element of Bond. And I would be, you know, I've thought about, like, you know, Moore's run in that middle more and more as i go past of spy you love me moonraker for your eyes only may be the absolute like kind of strongest series of performances and films uh of like one actor in a row Mm -hmm. because it's like really it's like you have those first three conneries and then like the more stuff like in the middle and you know uh i think that i i think that like i keep going back to those three and i think that the strength of those three by themselves have just really appreciated me uh, more for me more. Mm-hmm. That was, I messed you up. You got, you it. got yeah. there eventually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think I've just appreciate, cause I was someone who going into the podcast, I was definitely a little bit more on the like, Oh, like those more films are silly just because I just remember, you know, more so like my dad was more into the Connery stuff. Um, when I was, when I was younger and I kind of knew Like of the of the Brosnan films, I knew Goldeneye the most, and I kind of know. Yeah, it kind of has like some silly moments, but it's generally like kind of back to kind of grittier stuff. But I've really come to appreciate just the more films as a whole uh, over the course of this podcast, and more especially where I think he's kind of slotted himself into kind of my second favorite Bond.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, Moving into Dalton. Um, I mean, I mentioned this in the previous podcast dalton brings the theatrical actor to the thing like yeah. if it's kind of weird because they're all actors but if anybody brings the actor yeah. to the role it's it's dalton yeah. a- and in a, in a way it's it's like because dalton one of the things i remember i liked about his first film was that there was kind of like this mission impossible quality uh to it like yeah. you know he's definitely taking it really seriously. Um, but in his Dalton way, I mean, you know, you can just tell he's playing a role, and, and not in a bad way, and, and not even in the same way that, like, Connery knows he's playing a role, and so he's not going to, you know, he's going to kind of, like, you know, have that, like, you know, he's gonna roll his eyes at some stuff, Dalton just knows he's digging his teeth into, like, an iconic role, and is having a, and is having a ball with it, and I mean, that's really how I can just, you know, like, uh, um, distill all of like dalton as has bond yeah
0: you know uh it's it's been no secret on this podcast that uh my my love for dalton only matches my love for jet jaguar
1: <laughs> dude don't don't give me like a rocketeer style movie with jet jaguar and dalton as the villain yeah. like you don't don't no, Dalton is like... He could be like the scientist. Right. Too, like, like, yeah. ma- y'all... Yeah. I, I like this. So, I like this idea. Uh,
0: while you were re-watching uh, Knives Out with the commentary last night, uh, I put on the living daylights, um, and it just essentially confirmed that, yeah, Dalton's still still, Dalton's my boy and Dalton's my favorite. And I think what's funny, because yes, he brings up the theatricality and the actor element of it, but again, in a sense that I feel that Dalton is kind of almost the most natural, just maybe like for me personally, he's the most natural is just like a human being in the sense that like he has like a wider range, excuse me, a wider range of emotion than I think that some of the other actors have. Cause like, like I love Moore and again, Moore has kind of slotted himself into like the second favorite for me, but, and yes, he can get emotional, but there's generally like the more kind of bond is like, there's just like, you, you can easily imagine like, you know, kind of the sly, the side eye and like kind of the sly kind of smirk Mm -hmm. and and just even like again Moore has such a strength of how he uses his eyes like he can you know wide-eyed something like you just know like Moore just has a specific look and like connery has a specific look work and like connery has that kind of slight coldness as you said and i think that kind of defines his bond i with dalton again i go back to scenes like the scene when i was watching it last night where he's in you know, he has, like, the moment with Kara before he goes off to, you know, put the bomb in the plane when they're when they're in Afghanistan. It's kind of like, you know, he's going between, like, kind of, like, being serious with her in terms of, like, well, yes, I'm going off my own to protect you, blah, blah, blah. But then he also has, like, she, like, calls him a horse's ass, and he just has this little, like, you, you calling me a horse's ass? Which, like, you wouldn't get that with Connery or, or more. I think, like, mm. they, the way they would play that scene is very different. I even go back to the beginning of that movie when you know it's pointed out that the sniper is a woman and like that that shot where like you see his eye just open Mm -hmm. and the way that he does it where it's just like that eye is so full of realization and just the way that dalton looks it's so it's so like such a small type of moment um that i think that again when i was imagining like other bonds would play it i feel like you know there would be slight differences in the way that that and Connery would play it. There would be a little bit more, you know, like Connery would definitely kind of not let it not phase him as much. Uh, and more, um, uh, I think would have kind of, uh, uh, would have kind of had it a little bit more kind of, Almost obvious that right. he kind of knew. Whereas I think like Dalton in that moment, that like, you could just tell he's making a split second decision of just like mm, something's mm-hmm. not right here. Right, uh, and even
1: yeah, he and again I think that's kind of why I say like why that move reminds me of Mission Impossible. There's a little bit more that Dalton, and, and some of this is just like within the role how they do it, but there's a little bit of more of like the man on a mission, like making yeah. those decisions where. You know, there is a bit with Moore and Connery that, despite things going wrong, like they do feel like they're kind of like in control of every situation. Right. They're in control of how cool they are, right?
0: Like, and more like Dalton plays the bond where the motions do get the best of him. Like when Saunders gets killed by Necros, you know, he has that whole like he has like an actual sweet moment with with Saunders where he's like, "Hey, man, like I know you're sticking your neck out for me, so thank you." And he immediately dies. And he immediately goes into like you know intensity mode where he like you know sees the. Smirks, smirks meter him on the balloon and pops it and it's just like so he's just so like okay well now this is like serious business right right and i i think that it translates too into license to kill which i did not rewatch that light last night but i think that there is still kind of a a funness um to his kind of revenge mission in that movie and just kind of the way he gets again he gets to kind of really go into the emotion of bond and, right. and reflecting on you know they don't mention tracy specifically but mentioning you know the history there um, and still having like the fun moments with like Pam Bouvier, you know, like you know, like you know that whole scene. The, the... You, know,
1: you know a thing I love about Dalton, just in general. Yeah, he is a man. Who I don't know if he knows this or not, but he just seems to be constantly aware that a camera is on, and just knows how to capture an image. Yeah. And like, just even in the way in which like he like looks over his shoulder, or if he just like looks at like out of a corner, or if he's just like smiling at somebody. You know, you know, it, it's like that. Um, what's the what's the Edgar Wright movie? He's in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Like you know, like that 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 uh, that image and people uh, post it all the time of like him smiling at the camera, and there's the picture behind him, and it's, it's the same exact yes. picture of him smiling at yeah. the camera. I feel like that encapsulates just Dalton's energy. Yeah. Like there's just always like even like even if he's like and it's not always like he's mean mugging like, or smiling at the camera. Like He could be like in peril and looking at Flash Gordon. And somehow the energy is that he's still smiling for the camera. Like
0: he's just – This like, – what it is like, – again, like if we were going to other Dalton movies is like The Rocketeer. Where, yes, like, he's, yes, like, 100%. He's, where he's playing like, again, the Errol Flynn type who's secretly a Nazi. And you how he can just flip the switch from being like – evil dickhead to like charmer Mm -hmm. in like an instant but you still know he's like a smarmy bastard right right and it's just so much fun and i've grown to really appreciate dalton even outside of bond but i really just can't escape that i just love watching those two movies of his and i know it's only two and and I, i hold those two so precious yeah
1: but it is funny because even though i say all that not the biggest most uh uh, cliche of the Bond actors, though. Like, even though I do say he brings like this big actor quality to him. Yeah. Like, you know, I think you know uh, he there's not he doesn't really uh, fit into the tropes in a cliche way. Right. I, yeah. I, I think,
0: say. and I think it's like again one of the things that has to be said, and I've said it before, is that it really does kind of like the era of what type of movies they're making. I think also really affects the actors, where it's like. You know, if, if if Dalton was, like, doing, like, the Connery films, it would just be a very different thing.
1: Well, it's almost the opposite of, if I can transition to the next one, um, is Brosnan, and I like Brosnan, but Brosnan almost feels like the cartoon version of Bond in, in terms of, like, every... He's just kind of, like, nailing every trope in exactly the way you want to hear it type yeah. of way, and I, I, I think it, it's kind of one of those things where... You know, sometimes you eye roll at obvious casting, but it's, like, I, it's like obvious for a reason. It was kind of like one of those things, like, when Benedict Cumberbatch was casted as Doctor Strange, where everybody's like, oh, that kind of makes sense, and then a movie comes out, and it's like, well, that's why it makes sense, because he's pretty good at it. Um, and um, and so that's kind of, like, how I feel with Brosnan, whereas, like, Dalton, while being such a thespian and an actor, didn't really, like, do all those tropes in, like, the yeah. thing that, like, you know, tingles your brain a little bit. Brosnan, on the other hand, right. is just playing the hits, and plays them well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that, like, I I go... The
1: Springsteen of Bond. (laughs) That's
0: a a, a lot to unpack. I'm not going to go into that. Um, It's more of, like, the hit playing, is is what I'm saying. Plays the hits, Um, plays them well. Brosnan is super interesting, because, again, Brosnan is almost like it's inescapable of, like, that was, like, the Bond of our childhood. And it's like, I I have the image of him on the GoldenEye video game. Like, mm -hmm. that is such a clear image of just, like, he's Bond... To me, I think
1: do you think that sorry, do you think that helped a little bit? That like, that's when we were getting into multimedia Bond yeah. was the era that Brosnan was it, so maybe that's why he's a lot of go to like image yeah. Bond.
0: Well, I think it's like again because he was right. He like he, he if an actor was built to be Bond, it definitely was Brosnan. I mean, from the moment that Cubby Broccoli saw him, it's like that's that's a Bond right there. I think that my thing with Brosnan is interesting because. I do still feel that like that Goldeneye performance is just so iconic, yes. and it's like exactly what the Bond franchise is needed at that moment, like this big rebirth. And like Goldeneye and Brosnan, it's like it is one of the like great performances, I think, of just really kind of inhabiting the character. I really do feel though that it is kind of like when you get into those other three films, is what you're kind of saying. It's like he really kind of plays Bond, like the hits of Bond super well and almost like it's a good baseline of like what you want a bond to be um but i also do feel that that kind of you know at the end of the day it kind of makes him like a little bit lower on on the list Mm -hmm. for me just because like when you get to tomorrow never dies and uh world's not enough and die another day i don't think there's anything really wrong with any of those performances but i do think it's like he starts off super strong in goldeneye And really the performance never really evolves. Like even Dalton I give that credit to where it's like he kind of gets to play, you know, both both of his movies definitely have like lighter moments. But definitely like kind of Living Daylights is a little bit more on that like generally lighter side of Bond with some intensity. And The License to Kill is a little bit more like the intense Bond with like more moments of levity like there's still kind of a difference in the way that he kind of plays like the two movies where mm-hmm. I think like Brosnan he has gold and it's so good and he has such good chemistry and you know we've talked about it like he's such like we talked about in the Dante speak he's such a naturally charming person he, he
1: out of I think all the actors likability is the thing he brings the most yeah. uh, I think it's just like
0: there is just a natural like yeah. right like a natural kind of likability and and just the charm that he has. Yeah, I think it's
1: because, like, especially when you get into GoldenEye and they're on the... I think they're on a beach, right? And, yeah. and, they're, and he's, like, opening up. And and there's just something really human and natural, whereas I think before, like, even in the best scenes when they do something like that, it is kind of like, this is the part where Bond is serious. Yeah. Like, you know? Or this is the part where he's talking about something serious. And, and again, some of this is the directing, but the way that Brosnan brings that... You know, it's not like the biggest deal that he's opening up is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's like he he's a he's a he's a human being in a way that like you know if there's like a moment of respite that he'll like open up about something, and I think Brosnan uh, easily transitions into that. So that likability and. More so than when it, with any other Bond, I feel that chemistry with others like just it, it just naturally yeah comes like even like because that's when we're getting into like the Judy Dench M relationship and how that works and yeah. um you know I think there's a le- because I even had this issue with previous Bond films whereas like like you know does any do any of these people like Bond like you know yeah. I've always joked that like M always wants Bond to die like. You know, I understand that, like, you know, that him and Q are friends, but are they really? Brosnan, for some reason, just makes all those relationships work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if it comes to M, it's almost kind of like that, you know, that um, uh, troublemaking uh, son and maternal relationship. When it comes to Q, it's kind of like, oh, they're like, they're you believe that they're friends? Yeah. That they're like, like, kind of messing with each other. Um, so that's kinda like my biggest strength that I have right, with and I, uh, Brosnan. And I
0: think that he he does stand to elevate like his cast in that in that chemistry sense. Like I do think that like when you look at Goldeneye, like stuff like the relationships that he has with even the villains like Anatop and uh Alec, like are enhanced because of the way Brosnan plays those relationships and mm-hmm. the stuff with Natalia. And, and even like into those other films, as much as I don't think he really evolves the performance, like him and him and Electric King in well, it's not enough. Like elevates Electric King to being kind of almost you know a better villain than mm-hmm. I think like even like a more you know Connery or Moore Bond would have kind of let right, let right. the female villain have, and like we jo- I mean yes like the writing of Jinx and Bond is like not great in mm-hmm. that movie, and a lot of what the trouble with with Die Another Day is really the writing. Um, and kind of just the the nonsense. Of it, that it's movie. the weakest overall. It's the weakest but yeah, overall, yeah. but it's like there's still like moments between like Brosnan and Holly Berry that just work just based off like the natural charisma that they have sure. together. Um, so I think it, it's, it's Brosnan. I think that like he just starts off so strong with Goldeneye, and then it's just like the other three films are like good. For him, But I don't know if any of them really kind of elevate themselves to what GoldenEye was. And I think, again, it's like a good baseline for the character. It's like kind of like you want to be at least a Brosnan in some ways.
1: Yeah, um, I I definitely agree. Um, How can I talk about Craig? Because I really don't want to just shit on Craig the entire time. I don't think he's deserving of that. I think I I am a little hyperbolic about it. Uh, Even though I do have some reservations about Craig. And it's hard because... I know a lot of people like Craig. I I really do. And I think that there is some merit to the character he plays. I think he plays the character just fine. You know, it's kind of funny in a way when you look at, like, somebody like Brosnan, who is just, like, so born to play the role in a yeah. certain way. I, again, I go back to kind of, like, watching Knives Out last night. I was just like, I oh, don't know, man. Like, I feel like that about Craig and Benoit Blanc. I just feel like this is just a character where I get way more out of him playing the character and he just is bringing so much to it and especially like when you listen to like ryan johnson talk about like craig actually influencing the character uh in certain ways Uh, i mean you had shared some of these stories with me but i I think it was just funny like when ryan johnson's talking about like in, in the commentary like you know benoit blanc shows up and then ryan johnson's like so in the script it read that benoit blanc has a subtle southern accent <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and then craig just came out with this <laughs> and 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 you know there's also like scenes that like the donut hole scene that like ryan johnson thought was kind of silly but craig actually wanted to, like he pushed to keep it in um So there's that, and you know, and I don't want to say that none of that energy was in the Bond films. I mean, he was, you know, a creative force on the second Bond film. Um, But there's just uh, there's a lot of qualities, some redeeming qualities, but just one too many qualities that just over time has never really. I've never really loved this version, like him as Bond. And frankly, even back in the day when I thought Skyfall was like the best movie. Yeah. Um I can't even say like oh but I like him. Like I like the movie yeah. at the time. I don't know if I like him as Bond and I think one of the reasons is is like it's just like this really cold and callous nature to him mm-hmm. that the warm aspects they just don't they 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 just have never landed with me and maybe it's one of the reasons why like even the Vesper story doesn't really like I don't. I can't connect. I don't really connect with it. Yeah. Um. He just seems like a cold lizard.
0: <laughs> I, I am on the same boat as you. Where it's like it's hard to talk about these movies. I think, as we've said, the movies themselves and the direction they go don't really do him a lot of favors in terms of you know, the the fun moments are few and far between. And when he does get, again, like the few moments where he gets the pointing at Komodo dragon stuff, it's like he can play a fun bond. It's just that they've really doubled down on this kind of somewhat serious direction. And I think they've tried, like there's moments more in Skyfall and, and Spectre that kind of try to kind of have a little more fun, but they're still kind of the super serious nature. My I, I I'm on a similar boat to you. And I guess, you know, in some circles, this would be a controversial take, but I do think that Craig... Out of all the bonds that have had multiple films, is really the one where I can't really pinpoint like the blowaway performance for me. Because like with Connery, I will say like I said like Connery, I think like from Russia with Love is my blowaway performance. From Moritz, Spy Who Loved Me for Dalton, I would say like I just love his Living Daylights performance so much. And Bros and Goldeneye with like with Craig, it's like yes, like he's good in all the movies, especially with the like for the what the movies are and the materials that he's given. But, like, you know, like, Skyfall, I'm the same way. It's, like, even for the parts I like about Skyfall, it's, like, Craig is really, like, he's good, mm. but he's not, like, incredible. I, I would say
1: that the best one may be Casino, no, I was, only good, because it's, like, the most viscerally committed yeah. of, of them. And I
0: think, again, yeah. I think it's, like, Casino, again, and it's, I think that a lot of it has to do with, like, even, like, Campbell's direction mm-hmm. and the kind of closest to the book and, and – and a lot of things about that movie. I think, like, Casino to be the closest, and if I had to pick one, I'd definitely think it's the best. But it's hard for me to say that I enjoy watching that performance more than I enjoy those other Bond performances, and that's, like, a personal taste thing.
1: It, it reminds me a lot of the Abrams Trek films where the the strongest one was like the coming out role when a lot of these actors are like picking up like these mantles like you know pine and um uh you know quinto taking it really is actually less like pine and more like quinto playing spock where in that first film it actually worked very well and i would say even in casino with craig for what they were doing and his commitment and the visceral nature of the role very good and then it just kind of and then it's just fine for the next couple films. Yeah. yeah, like it's like, you know, it's still not bad and he's doing the thing and and in in a way with Bond, this may be Craig's Bond may be the only Bond where and I don't think it's entirely his fault, but the blank uh the blank uh canvas nature of the character kind of comes back and bites him in the butt a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because like you know, there's you, you don't really get too much from Craig uh, from the role in terms of anything else going on and then the movies are kind of doing this thing where they're trying to build like a, a history that you care about. They're trying to like Spider-Man parents the movie a little bit where they're involving all these other things where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Like this guy had a pass like, but none of it works and lands because you don't right. really care all that much about it and it, it just becomes, and again, that's why I say it's not all his fault but it just becomes like a big hollow mess. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I guess that you could say that peter parker's parents were flying to meet bond's parents in that when they had that climbing accident and then and then the parents oh no oh man oh no no Um, but it's it's like and then again i don't it's like hard to really fault craig because i think he's playing the role as like it's kind of written in in the direction that they've wanted to go um it's just hard i think it's it's just hard for the two of us and like what we like in bond but I will say this. I, I don't want to turn yeah, this I, into a
1: complete like, yeah, I don't shitting wanna, on Infest, yeah. because
0: what, what are some of the good
1: qualities? I do think in Casino Royale, that visceral, like you know, raw action nature to the character and the way in which... Um, I actually, now that I think clearly about it, I think that that may be his best performance of, of the movies because while I may have my personal feelings of how much I gravitate to it, I, I think that there is a level of this unhinged bond this like you know bond who like kind of gets angered easily mm-hmm. bond that i think is done in a good is performed in a very effective um way like in terms of like things like where he is Mr. Cool all the time but then when he's like losing at the poker table and then he's like he's like he needs more money and then like he's about to like you know preemptively kill Mads Mickelson, like you know like things like that like all that stuff works and, yeah. and I think that Craig nails all of that stuff and then going forward actually I the moments in which he is allowed to be a little bit lighter like are like good yeah no I agree yeah so it's like and he's able to like do all that stuff i i i think and and one of the moments i do like that they are able like i will give skyfall this credit is that his relationship how he plays his relationship with like characters like m um in terms of like you know kind of being this kind of like a strange son type character to M, I think he does deliver that in a way and you believe that when you get to the third act that he is trying to care and protect for this person yeah i
0: think he i think he and, and dench do have really good moments together and i, I think honestly in, in all three of the films i think some of the stronger stuff in quantum of solace is the stuff even between him and and judy dench I also think that when going back, yeah, I think that those action sequences, especially in Casino Royale, like the the parkour sequence with the parkour inventor, and uh, the the airport sequence, I think are are very strong showings. Especially because Craig is someone who is doing a lot of his own stunts, and I think you know that's another strength that like he shares with with Dalton is that they're very willing to kind of risk the injury because they want to be in those sequences. And I think that, especially like in Casino Royale, but I also think in Skyfall, I think like, you know, the, the subway chase, I think like he, and and the opening sequence, I think he performs that stuff very well. Right, right. And yeah. it's just like, again, like you're right. That when he does get the lighter moments, it's, it's he plays them very well. And I think that he does have an inclination for that. I just, you just wish there was more.
1: Uh, I think the issue with me is like, they, they burden, or burden the character with this baggage of you know how we talk about more and like you know there are like you know those dark regrets he has and how seamlessly he transitions into that yeah they make bond the craig bond like a damaged bond and then they wear that on the sleeve mm-hmm. so much um and then they shed that a little bit uh when you get into like the next two film when you get into like skyfall and Spectre. but then you've kind of like shedded it back and like there really isn't anything else. So then it kind of becomes a little bit more of like a blank slate character. So that's kind of what I mean by it's yeah. like kind of like a hollow mess. And, and you know, it's fine what they do with it, but I think it does kind of get in the way of like, you know, some other stuff. And maybe I just don't gravitate towards it either. I'll admit that.
0: Yeah. It's just, I think it's just for you and I and what we look for in film. I just think it's like not for us, mm-hmm. but it's also not, again, it's not like bad. Mm-hmm. I think it's generally like good yeah. again for like, like the type of films that he's doing. Craig is doing them well. It's just that I think that we gravitate towards some aspects of the previous sponsors. We
1: also may have a more inconsistent sample size of of, of right because because
0: the, the, the thing about Craig too is like the the productions have been all over the place. In right, terms right. Of, you know the the lengthy gap between you know you know the lengthy gap to get Casino Royale made and then the writer's strike with Quantum and then you know kind of this the the break between that and Skyfall and now even with this one with no time to die which is like who knows when we're going to see it or how we're going to see it it's it's just like there is kind of like and also i think also it has to do with the, even the inconsistent nature of what they've been presenting in the films because it's like okay we're doing like the quantum thing and then Skyfall's like no we're not doing the quantum thing and then they try to bring it back and try to bring the emotion back into it and it's just been too long and too weird and trying to do Spectre mm-hmm. i think like again the content of the film just hasn't done Craig any favors. Yeah, you can't. I think he's done them well, as well as he could, but there's there's a lot of other stuff within the production and the actual on-screen product that I think like is out of Craig's control.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's hard to do that like wearing the damage on your sleeve type of character because it's like, do you really want to stay with that character? Because I could even see like if you kind of develop that over the course of the films but i feel like even just on a character basis they're very inconsistent with how much they want to delve into that yeah like you know and because you can do like wearing damage on your sleeve once again going to like a another character i mean batman's kind of like an obvious example because the fact that he is batman is the damage on his sleeve like literally the costume is the damage and then so you're able to kind of like uh, contextualize it a little bit better and then um develop that but you know i I even have sometimes a problem with batman like you know because i feel like sometimes the weakest parts of the of the movies can be when they haphazardly try to dive into that kind of stuff yeah um and then bond kind of went that way where they just don't really yeah or they they kind of do it just as haphazardly so um but yeah i mean you know craig is and you know, I, I hate to be like to kind of harp on it, like you know. I just kind of see this trailer for the next one, and it seems like they're just doubling down on that. Yeah. Um. But uh, I do want to say that I still think Craig is amazing as Enter Benoit Blanc. <laughs> yes. So it's not a complete uh, yeah. shitting on uh, Craig show. Um. So yeah. Uh. So that's all the actors, right? <laughs> what? What you want to talk? You really want to talk about Lazenby? The only thing I'll say. This is the
0: only thing I'll say. I thought, I thought we went over Lazenby. All right. All right. Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. The only thing I, I think I can come up well, with. Well, okay. Say. Yes. Uh, the only thing I'll say about Lazenby is like, it, to me, it's like there. You have to kind of rank. If you're going to make a ranking, you have to rank him last, just because of just he's not an actor. And. But it's just, well, he is an actor. <laughs> yes, but he is not Well, what I'm trying to say is like, I just think that like I can't in my heart say that I like his performance as Bond better than any of the other sure, performances sure. as Bond. But the fact that he was not an actor and he was able to put on the performance that he did yeah. in that movie is still impressive. Yeah. It, listen, and I think it's it was a hard, not a bad
1: portrayal of Bond. It's a
0: hard situation of like, you're following like the Bond, like the guy who, you know, was advertised as like, see the James Bond. And you've got to follow him and you're trying to be, you know, at that point they're trying to do like, oh, we're going to be kind of similar to Connery. And then obviously they kind of realize that don't work. But he, he does what can, he... Can I say something that is interesting that I think is unique about Lazenby is just kind of like
1: the look in kind of like general build of Lazenby is different than a lot of other, yeah. like a lot of other Bonds. Like he almost kind of like has like, like, because I think a lot of the Bonds can be like, you know, brawler type of people. Like that's kind of what they look like like yeah Um, Lazenby kind of like has more of a um, honestly like when I first saw him like at least to me he kind of had more of like a Dean Jones quality to him like he kind of like and just kind of, like, that little, not, like, skinny, but maybe, like, swimmer body type of, like, person. What? Like, I'm just so
0: happy you said Dean Jones. Yeah, well, I'm so that, happy.
1: it just kind of reminds me of, like, more of that non-assuming. It's kind of like when you hire Keaton to be Batman. Like, yeah. it, it's yeah. not, like, this big fighter guy, but, like, just kind of, like, this cool kind of, like government official dude is is kind of like the sense I got from Ladsby so that's kind of like a unique thing I will say about him
0: yeah I, I think it's just again with all the pressure and all the the weirdness around just like inhabiting the being the first to newly inhabit the role I think he he does the best that he can and it still makes that movie work sure so you don't want to talk about David DeVenne and Peter Sellers?
1: Oh, I mean, if if you want to, I no, I, I really just, wasn't going I'm just, to. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, then we gotta talk about Woody Allen. Too.
0: Well, no, he's, he's Jimmy Bond. Jimmy Bond. Sorry, yeah, he's, sorry. He's, he's he's the nephew. He's, he's Jimmy Bond. Um, I mean, but it's really like David Niven's the only true James Bond. It's yeah. just Peter Sellers takes his name. So yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it is interesting because you look at those bonds and, and and those are interesting I mean because one is a type of character of bond that you definitely don't see like you know I think there is something that would be interesting about showing a bond that you know I talk about the veteran bond yeah but like the veteran retired bond that is so it, it oh but you know honestly like that's more of like a Flint character like, yeah a, they, where he's kind of like you know, Uh, kind of like an eccentric guy moseying around his house but will go on a mission if he needs. Yeah, you're you're
0: very right. There is very more of like a Flint-esque nature to like that Bond mm portrayal. And then, you know... and then To
1: the point where I almost say like maybe you do have to relegate that to a different character. I I don't know if you necessarily see... I don't know if that's like it, it would be an interesting portrayal bomb but I don't know if it's like the most natural fit.
0: Right. And it's just like again like the 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 scene the Senior Royal 60 uh 67 stuff is just so different yeah. off the wall. It's you're just, just kind of
1: I think it would be fun but you're kind of now getting into the territory where it's like isn't this just like a different character Yeah, at, at this point yeah. so um yeah um, so that's all the actors So
0: that, that we have now reflected on yeah. all of them for sure.
1: Yeah. It, it, it has been, it has been fun. I think going back to your point, it, it's interesting to always like dive into a character where the legacy of the character is that it's been so many people playing it yep. and, um, to finally dive deep into all the movies and to the actors and what they bring. Uh, definitely um definitely exciting yeah yeah i agree that's uh, a good time yeah is that it that's it all right cool that's um all, uh, all right so uh so that's it for this week's deep dive um next time it, we're going to be delving into godzilla stuff and we are finally uh going to be watching war for the gargantuas so
0: i'm excited i'm super pumped to see this mysterious movie <laughs>
1: all right well until next time uh we will uh you will hear us soon yeah bye bye